Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Uh, this past week, Rick Boland died, and I've known Rick ever since he was a high school kid. And the funeral is going to be here at the church building uh, Monday night. Visitation will be between 5 and 7, and the service will be at 7 o'clock. The interment will be the next day at 12 o'clock in Wheelersburg. We're going to need a little help. We're going to feed the family after the interment on Tuesday. And so it'll probably be around close to 1 o'clock by the time that they get back here and, and we can feed them. So we're going to need a little bit of help in, in getting some food. Uh, Alice Kay will be sitting back there at the table uh, begging and... Uh, that's supposed to be funny, but that's all right for you to. If you and if you can bring something, just write your name and what you're going to bring, and then we'll get it all balanced out Monday morning when Paula gets here. The text that, uh, and by the way, I want something else. This has been in my crawl for about two or three weeks, not related to the sermon, but it's my birthday, and daggone it, I'm just going to go ahead and say some things. All right, now. The Queen of England died, and they spent, I think they had nine or ten days of mourning and all that kind of good stuff, and we've never been big on royalty over here, unless it's a basketball player or a football player or something like that. One of them we call king. But one of the things that I always appreciated about that woman from the time I can remember when she was crowned as the queen. And as Andrew Smart Alec said, I was here when Jesus was walking. I heard that. But the one great thing about that woman that I want to call to the attention of those of you who have children, and especially those of you who have daughters, you never had to question, never one time did you have to question whether she was a woman or not. She was always impeccably dressed, of course, but she, she, she was always very obviously proud of the fact that she was a woman and you didn't have to ask. Let me encourage you with daughters, every once in a while, put a dress on them, I mean dress them up to the hilt, take them out to eat somewhere, help them understand in this messed up society we have who they are, the way God made them, and how precious they are because of the way they are. And uh, that's the one thing. Now, it doesn't bother me, and I don't believe in silly church rules about whether you should wear slacks or not. Uh, you know, I, I don't care about that. I do care about what's going on in our culture when we appoint to the Supreme Court a brilliant woman who says, I can't define what a woman is. 
and, and, and kids who are saying that if a teacher doesn't call them by what they want to be called with a certain pronoun, well, they could get fired or they could be, you know. Listen, I'm going to call a she a she if she's a she, and I'm going to call a he a he if he's a he. And I really don't care what they say. Because the scripture is abundantly clear when God created a man and he created a woman. And if they're truly blessed to have a daughter, she's a, a, a young woman, and every once in a while dress her up. I don't care. If you're broke, come and see me. I'll pass the hat and we'll buy her a dress. You know, I, I just think it's important that we help young girls know that God created them the way they are, and they sure are special to us. And, they're, and, they're, and, and, and Daddy, you take that little girl that you dress up, and you take her, and, and I'm not talking about going to the, taking her to the weenie world. I'm talking about taking her somewhere nice and, and let her understand how, how wonderful it is. Uh, now, I needed to get that out of my crawl because I feel better already. The text that we have before us here is, is rather interesting. Here's the way, well, let me show you how this looked uh, to Hollywood, and they didn't do a bad job. Uh, this is from the Ten Commandments when the golden calf was, was created, and, and uh, so stick, play that for us just quickly. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, they gathered themselves together. Well, make a god for us. A god of gold. A golden calf! Korah shall be the high priest. Bring baskets, buckets, jaws, anything you have. Break off your earrings. Here, your bracelets, your necklaces. We will make us of a golden calf. And the people sinned a great sin, for they had made them a god of gold. And they bore him upon their shoulders and rejoiced, saying, This be our god, O Israel. Are you mourners of Moses afraid to face the new god of gold? They were as children who had lost their faith. They were perverse and crooked and rebellious against God. They did eat the bread of wickedness and drank the wine of violence, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the people cried, The graven image hath brought us joy. And they worshipped the golden calf and sacrificed unto it. What isn't shown, and they couldn't, is really what took place after the golden calf was made. Now, let there's several things here that, that need some clarification. Number one, Aaron is Moses' brother. He's still here at the base of the mountain with the people. Moses had been gone for a month. The people said, we need, our leader is gone. And so what they did is they, these people that God adopted, this, this nation of Hebrews, ultimately to become Israel, they had been in Egypt now for 430 years, and they were more Egyptian than anything. 
And the truth of the matter is they had been influenced by their culture substantially in that time. And the gods of, of Egypt uh, had simply become their gods. And Moses coming along and saying, there's only one true and the living God, and that's the guy that's going to be leading us, and that's the guy that I'm following, so on and so forth. When Moses was gone that 30 days or so, whatever it was, why the people uh, got, became restless and said, you know, we know about the gods of Egypt. Now, the golden calf is kind of interesting. Aaron said, if you guys want a golden calf, okay, you want you want to... One of the gods of Egypt, why, okay, but take off all your earrings. Now, this is an interesting, culturally then, earrings were usually an indication of the god that you worshipped. Now, that's not as unusual to think, because what do we do today? We wear necklaces with a cross or... If you're Jewish, you've got a star of David. If you, you know, sometimes you even have crosses on earrings. Anyway, they they took them all off and they gave them to him, and then uh, and they they formed this golden calf. Now, don't get the idea that this calf is solid gold. It's not. The calf was probably formed out of wet sand, dried up, cooked become solid enough, and then plated with gold. Because ultimately, when Moses finally comes down, having received the Ten Commandments, the very Word of God, God had put it on there. It was His Word. that, And He came down there, and He saw that they'd already violated two of the commands that God had put there. One, you know, you shall have no other gods. And some texts say... Uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's, that's a lousy translation. It, it, the, the, the Greek text, and I don't know anything about Hebrew. I cannot read Hebrew, even though it was originally written. And then 200 B.C., the, uh, the Hebrew scholars in Alexandria in northern Egypt translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. I can read that one. And, and what the text really says, you shall have no other gods, not other than me. He's, he's really saying, you shall have no other gods but me. I'm it. There are no other gods. And I'm a jealous God, and I won't put up with it. And the other thing that said that they had broken, he said, you shall not make any graven images of me. No graven images at all, because... In most pagan countries, they, they had a, a god that they had never seen that they just kind of made up. And then they would make a graven image to represent that god. The golden calf was one of those. It actually stood for the god of the, of the Egyptians who was supposed to have been the creator of heaven and earth. And uh, I can't pronounce it. Uh, I can spell it for you if you want to spell, but I, I, I really can't pronounce it. It's spelled P-T-A-H. I would say, but, but, but what they did is they made a god that represented that uh, Egyptian god. And, and, so, and the molten god, which was probably gold-plated, Moses finally, this, they, they, he took uh, probably just uh, 
sledgehammer type things and 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 beat it up into dust and poured it on the water and and made them drink it uh, he was a little upset with them so the the image that you have here is we'll talk about it a little later on they they were saying this is this golden calf this is the God that actually brought you up out of Egypt instead of the true and the living God. And uh, that's what really upset him. And believe it or not, the, uh, the influence of this bull or calf worship still has its influence today. We'll talk about, I'll show you a picture and we'll talk about that in just a minute. What actually happened there that they couldn't show, Hollywood couldn't show, the reason they couldn't show it is because it was so pornographic. What I'm getting ready to tell you may be a little, um, how shall we say, to those of you who are uh, very, <clears throat> you know, this may not set too well with you. But you need to know why God got so upset with them. When you understand the language and you understand the culture of the Egyptians and the way they worshipped, you can understand it. And so I, I'm going to spell that out for you. I've showed it to the people on, on Sunday night in the class there and they didn't throw me out. They just kind of giggled. Here's what happens. They have the image of their God. This time it's a calf. And, and we won't, don't have time to go into why it was a calf or a bull, either or. Which was an image of fertility for them. What they did is they would have the image and then they would build an altar. And that's exactly what Aaron did. And then he would say, okay, bring your sacrifice. Some would bring a lamb, some would bring a goat, some would bring another uh, something of the bovine, a, a calf or a cow or, or a steer or whatever, and they would cut it up, and, and, uh, and, and there's a big, big fire going here at the altar, and they would offer it, and then they would cook it. Parts of the body, they would burn, and it would go up as, a, as an offering to their god. The smoke would go up as an offering to their God. The rest of it, they would cut up. They would take their family and their neighbors, and they would sit down, and they'd have a feast. And they would, along with the feast, they had either wine or some kind of alcoholic drink. Now, and, and they would, and they would, what do you do when you, when you drink and you eat a lot and you, 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 and, a, and a guy has one thing on his mind. Because here's the way men work. You give men a couple of cocktails, and they think they're the sexiest thing on the face of the earth. I've seen this in the golf course many times, and, um, and we've had problems here a time or two with that, that happening. You know, a guy, uh, after so much wine, or, and I had a boss, nice guy. But you give him a bottle of wine, because he drank the whole stinking thing, and he began to hit on every woman in the house. And, uh, and, and so for some reason or other, 
alcohol causes men to think they're sexy. Now, now keep that in mind because this is not an exaggeration and it's a part of what took place here. You've got to get the picture. Then after they were dancing and singing, the thing that you don't see here is they were nude. They took off their clothes. Now you know what goes on from there. And this is all a part of what they refer to as worship before a fertility, before a fertility God. And then the high priest, whoever that happened to be here, would on the platform in front of the fertility God have intercourse with a woman. And then he would say, all of the rest of you go thou and do likewise. Now can you begin to see why this became repulsive to God? And I'm not exaggerating even in the least here. I can't even go far enough because the sexual orgy that took place there was all related because the women just stripped down and you get a naked woman in front of a, a guy with three cocktails and you know what's going to happen. And that's exactly what took place. It was, a, it was an abomination and God was upset with it. And Moses just was really bent out of shape. And God says, this kind of foolishness has gone so far that I cannot let it go unaddressed. I have to do something about it. And, and this, this kind of worship, even it has an influence in our world today. I don't know whether you watched this or not. Because, and if you did, you, did, you didn't see all of it because they don't put it on the, on the television screen anymore. But once a year... In, in I, I think it's, it's called Pamplona, Spain, they have what's referred to as the running of the bulls. You may have seen it on television. These guys get out here and they get in front of these animals that run through the street. There's usually about a dozen of them. And through, in the last X number of years, 14 guys have been killed in, while they were out there going through that foolishness. But and, and that's it's it's just all idiotic. But what you don't see is what happens. This is called the running of the bulls. But what you don't see and you don't hear and they don't talk about is two days later, and I can't show it to you, they have what's called the running of the nudes. And it all of it has its history back in what took place with the pagan worship in Egypt because it came from Egypt and then made its way through the rest of the civilized world and it, it's and, and this is why the scripture says and the Lord said to Moses go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt and have become corrupt and and this is a corruption in the kingdom of God because see here's what happened Israel, the, the Hebrews, had been in Egypt for 430 years, but God had promised Abraham, I'm going to make from you a great nation, and through that nation, all the world will be blessed. And their primary reason why he chose them was so they could go to all of the surrounding world and introduce them and show them who the true and the living God was. Instead of them influencing Egypt, Egypt had influenced them. 
And that's the reason the New Testament says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed to think differently. Think according to the principles of the kingdom of God. And so this whole thing, and it, it, it actually there's, there's a section of it I think is humorous that she read for you. You may not have caught it, but it's actually kind of funny. It's so ridiculous. When Moses confronted his brother, Aaron, he said, Aaron, how did you let this happen? Oh, he said, here's what really happened. He said, they said they wanted to, to make a god, and they brought their earrings. And, their son. and by the way, that, that's, I got something else in my cross, so I've got to say it. The men and the women both wore ear, earrings in honor of their pagan gods. It was an indication of idolatry. Now, I know that's not the reason men wear earrings today, but I, I've always wondered if men who wear earrings are short on testosterone. I, I don't know what the problem is, but, you know, I can't help it. Every time I... Because this has all happened in my lifetime. If someone, when I, was, when I was 17 years old, had walked into high school wearing earrings, some guy... He would have suffered beyond measure verbally from the rest of us. And I probably would have been guilty of joining in. Weenie, weenie, weenie. You know, who knows what you would have said to them. But anyhow, I'm still not a big fan of men wearing earrings. And so, you know, it's my birthday. i got to say some things I wouldn't say any other time. But the, here's what, here's what was, I thought was really funny. He said, Aaron, how did you let this happen? Now, Aaron's Moses' brother. And he's going to be the head of all of the Levites and the, and the people who handle worship for the Israelites. He said, well, Moses, this is really what happened. I had him to bring all that stuff to me. I threw it into the fire and out walked a calf. And Moses, I'm certain, smacked him right upside the head. It's so dumb, you know, as if Moses would have bought that. But that's exactly what he said, and it's what's here. here's what he said. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave it to me, the gold. They gave, uh, then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And Moses was not overly influenced. Now, not only was this a violation of the Ten Commandments that the people didn't even know yet. Now, remember what happened. These people had been down here 430 years, and God said, you're my people. I have adopted you as my people, and, and, and I'm going to keep my promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph when he came here, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. But they were a mess. They were a mess. Now, there's two or three things you can gather from this. Number one, it's a mistake to think that God, all of God's people are something perfect. These were God's people, and they were a gosh-awful mess. Their behavior proved it. So, we, we've got to get past this idea that God's people are some way perfect. So, you remember... 
here, how many times have you seen this happen among any church anywhere ever? We have a, used to be we had two weeks revival meeting and uh, between the time you got all the crops in and the time it's time to, uh, to harvest them. And down in Kentucky, it was time you got ready to cut tobacco. And so here's what would happen. We'd have two-week revival meeting, and you come in some high-pressure high preacher, just like this kid that was a young man that was here this past, who really, they're really good. They'd bring in a quartet, could sing, man, and the singing was good. The congregational singing then was really good. Today, if you can get them a hum, you've done something special. But I'll tell you this. If you want to see a real awakening among God's people, it's when they learn how to sing. I'm not talking about a few people up here doing me, me, Piaggi. I'm talking about when the congregation becomes a choir and they lift up their voices together and, 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 things, and things can start happening. Well, anyway, the, the, the point that I'm trying to get across to you is God called those people his chosen people. He referred to, you're my chosen, I have adopted you, you're, you belong to me. Now, they didn't act like it. But I can remember my kids, and they weren't even adopted. And two or three of them were as bad as that bunch was, you know. So, and, and I'm not proud of that. But I, I can tell you this. One of them that preaches up here was one of the worst. So, you know, they can change, and they can make some progress. And God puts a lot. But this, this cat thing, Israel never did get past it. Because later on, and you'd have to look to find it, later on in the scriptures over in 1 Kings, what had happened was um, Solomon died. His son took over as king. And he goes to the elders, and the elders of Israel say, Look, Solomon has really been hard on us, taxed us heavily, built all this stuff. The people need a breather. Then he goes and talks to the young people. The young people said, hey, look, the old man's dead. This, the new young folks are here. Let's show them how this really ought to be done. So they raised taxes. They got harder on them. And the ten northern tribes said, we're not going to put up with this. And they left. And then here's what they did. They sent to Egypt to a guy down there who was an enemy of Solomon named Jeroboam. And they bring Jeroboam out of Egypt up to Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes. And you know what he does? He brings calf worship up there. The same type of thing that I described for you earlier then became a part of the, of the religion of the northern tribes under guys like Ahab and Jezebel, only they called it Baal worship. There's not much difference between Baal and Baal, is there? So they were all tied together, and, uh, and, and, and it's actually found in the 12th chapter, 28th verse. I put it in, your, in the outline so you can look it up when you have some time because last night I preached too long, and, and I kind of messed this up, and I'm trying to get it a little straighter. Now, what needs to be understood here is God will not stop sin but he will punish it. We have the free will to do what we want to do from the time of Eve 
and Adam until now. But, you know, when we exercise discipline, you do it in your own family. The Israelites were God's family. The church is God's family today. And he will, as our father, exercise discipline. We don't always know how that's going to happen, but it does happen. And, and they exer he exercised discipline here. There were 3,000 lives taken, and that wasn't the end of it. He not only did that, but here in verse 35, he spells out in some detail, in addition to the 3,000 lives, he went ahead and said, now listen to this. And the Lord struck all the rest of the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. What was the plague? Well, the only thing we know for sure were that about the ten plagues that had been on Egypt. You remember when uh, Moses was standing before Pharaoh and they started bringing the plagues to get Pharaoh to say, let the people go? My guess is, because it doesn't specifically say that one of those plagues, whether it could have been boils or whether it could have been whatever, I don't know. But the people of Israel, God sent a plague to say, look, you wanted to be like the Egyptians? Here's what goes with it. And the suffering that they went through, we're not told in, in detail, but... Uh, we, we do know that God's, in addition to those 3,000 lives that were taken, there was the, the bringing of a plague. Sin doesn't go unnoticed by God, even though he usually doesn't stop it. Now, the thing that, that, that I, I want to get across to you that I think is extremely important that we're not getting much of in this day and age from our pulpits. And that's this. How horrible sin is in the eyes of God. Tragically, in the churches today, we've gotten more lenient and lenient and lenient with the behavior of people in order to get a crowd. Get crowd, you get money in the bucket, da-da-da-da-da, and you, you know, and that's the way things have grown. But let me ask you something. God, I'm not certain that people have your arms around this. God chose Israel. The primary reason he chose them was, was so he could have a people through whom the Messiah would come. When Jesus came into the world, it appears in Scripture that God said, look, here was, your, here was your responsibility. It's this simple. It's not complicated. Your responsibility was to let the world know that there's only one God, and it's Yahweh. Now, the Jews will never use the term Yahweh. You ever stand watching before the, 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 the wall? Whenever they come to reading Scripture, if they're standing before the Western Wall, they'll, you'll see them nod their head like that. They do that instead of pronouncing the name. They never pronounce the name. They will use the name Adonai, which means Lord, but they'll never use the word Yahweh. 
they say it's too sacred to be spoken. So the, the, so God said, Israel, this is your job. You're, you, this is your only responsibility. You live and teach in such a way that the world knows that the, who I am as the God who created the world and he's the only one that's truly living. Everything, all the other gods are man-made. I'm the God who made man. Israel failed at that, obviously. They allowed the culture to influence them instead of them influencing the culture. And then there is a thing called replacement theory, which means that in theology, which means that what God did is he, he created the church to replace Israel. We're the new Israel. And, in, and the church has, guess what, exactly the same mandate as Israel had. Our mandate is let the world know who God is as he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's our reason for being here. Too, many, too much of us have said the reason we're here is to get people to heaven. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. But that's in heaven. Our responsibility is to let the world know who God is as he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Go into, and, and, and it's, that is the good news. Jesus is God in the flesh who conquered both sin and death on the cross and an empty grave. And we're to let the world know this is a God who created man and has the capacity to forgive sin and has the capacity to conquer death. And it's your responsibility to let the world know that because no other idol can do that. And you know what? We haven't done a very good job of it. We really haven't. I touch on that just before we quit. Let me see how much time I got here to beat on you with. Okay. I got to do some research to see back in, in the history of the church what happened when the church became kind of like it is today. You know what? Morally, we have been consistently through my lifetime and I'm 58 years old, if you're dyslexic, and, and during my lifetime, you have seen the moral standards of the church became more and more lax. We have become lax when it comes to sexual sins. People live together without the benefit of marriage and come to church and take communion like, just like everybody else. We've become lax concerning the, uh, the things that the Bible says be careful about and you're going to get a little uncomfortable now because the Bible says be careful when it when in dealing with alcohol. I had some pushback last night saying, yeah, but, but didn't Paul tell the, Timothy to have a little wine for the stomach sick? Yeah, he did. And if you have dyspepsia, it's all right too if your doctor tells you. 
but that's what he, he was talking about, a medical problem there with an upset stomach. He had a nervous stomach, and uh, that's about all they had to treat it with. They didn't have that pink stuff that we have today that's so good. I take a snort of on occasion. But we, we've compromised with alcohol, and, and people say, well, I have the guys tell me all the time, well, when I'm eating a pizza, I'll have a couple of beers. Okay, I hear you. There isn't anything scripture about that, is there? Well, of course there is, unless you're blind, deaf, and dumb. If you go over to the book of, and, 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 and I've heard Matthew and others say, yeah, but Martin Luther, you know, he, was, he drank like a fish and blah, 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 blah. And he did because his wife was a brewmaster. That does make a difference. But when you look in Scripture, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome and said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And what he was saying here is that, and, and the subject was, should you eat meat that had been offered to idols? And we were winning people out of the pagan god, from the pagan gods to Jesus, who had been offering meat to idols and eating it. And now Christians were, and, and you see what they did, the meat that was left over, they took down to the meat market and sold it. And Christians were buying it because it was cheap. And the, and, the, and, the, and the people who'd been one out of it say, hey, they told us that, these, that that meat had been infiltrated with demons. And you're eating it? The Apostle Paul in this text here is saying, look, when people were saying, hey, nothing wrong with it. And there wasn't, there weren't any demons in it. But, but they were being a bad influence on new converts. And so the Apostle Paul said, it's better to be a vegetarian than to cause somebody else to stumble. And he does the same thing with alcohol. I've tasted wine on every continent in the United States. And I'm telling you, you have to learn to like it. Because it, for the world, tastes like puke. And I've, I, and, and, and I've got friends down in, in Chile, and in Chile, the second largest export in the country is wine. Number one's copper, number two's wine. And, and I'd go to uh, Herbert's house, and, and his wife uh, would pour me a glass of wine, and I would sip of it. I'd look at Herbert and say, still pukos. You have to, it's just like when smoking. You have to, nobody has smoked the first cigarette and said, man, isn't that wonderful. After you gag a few times, you try another until you get so you can endure it. Let me tell you something. I have seen in my lifetime homes broken, Children actually died as a result of some guy who was hooked, who insisted on buying alcohol when he didn't have the money to buy food. And here's, the, here's where it becomes a sin. If drinking a beer after pizza, while you're eating pizza, causes a new Christian to stumble, it's a sin. Jesus said you would be better off to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the, into the pond rather than to be 
a cause for a new one to stumble. And because here's the real problem, see, new converts under pressure have a tendency to revert back to what they were before they were saved. It happens all the time. How many times have we seen people converted genuinely sincere, seeking a new life? And because of the behavior of somebody that's been a Christian for 47 years, or 85 years, whatever, says, the heck with that. If that's what it's like, I'll just... We've not accepted the responsibility of showing the world who God is by the life that we live. And that's exactly what we're called to do. Our mandate is no different than that which was given Israel. We're to take the Word of God to people. It isn't easy. to be in our culture what I'm being today because I'm going to be called judgmental, narrow-minded, all that other stuff. And when it comes to our responsibility that the Word of God gives us as representatives of the kingdom of God, I am both narrow-minded, bigoted, and all that stuff. I plead guilty. Why? Because we've got to do something about stopping the gravitation of our churches toward liberal theology and liberal living. And let's admit that what I'm saying is true. I was in a meeting, told you this before probably, in Louisville back in December with the president of the of the Southern Baptist Seminary there. He's a great man. And in, anyway, in the conversations that we were having, he said, have you ever noticed that all institutions have a tendency to gravitate over time toward the left, including governments, churches, all institutions have a he called it a natural tendency to gravitate toward the left. What I didn't do because I wasn't thinking that at the time was, yeah, but what do we do to stop it? I think we have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is far and no further, and now let's go back to our roots, and let's go back to the mandate that Jesus given. Let's get back to the Word of God. Let it be the single source of authority in our lives, and let's not let anybody change that. When Moses came down carrying those Ten Commandments, he let it be known, I didn't write this. God did. This is God's writing, therefore it's his word. The Bible is written, it was God giving to man his will for us, and it is his word, and we dare not add to or take away from it because the book of Revelation says, if you do, if you take away, I'll take your name. God does have an eraser, and he keeps the books. 
Oh, you know, the church is, are you, are you, do you belong to the church? Have you had your name put on the church roll? That and a cup of coffee will get you heartburn. The only book that really counts is the one God keeps. It is His will, it is His word, and it's our responsibility to bend toward His will, not bend toward our own. And the movement of the church, it appears to me, is that we have moved toward our own rather than His will. And, and, you know, it's clear in Scripture, not my will but thine be done, is what the book says. Now, for the last few weeks, what we've been doing when I've been up here is I've been giving an invitation for lost people to come to Christ. A girl sitting here came up here. She's going to get baptized here in a few days. And anyway, but I'm going to change that today. I'm going to have an invitation, okay, but it's not for lost people. It's for us. I think if our church is ever going to be the kind of influence in our community that it ought to be, we ought to have goals that each of us set. And you have to, I can't do it for you. I can encourage you, I can fuss at you, I can do all that kind of stuff, but ultimately the ball's in your court. Let me ask you this question. How many people do you know that you would classify as godly people? I'm not talking about churchgoers. I'm not, forget that. I'm talking about how many people do you know that you would say, there's a godly person. I'm of the opinion that you could probably write all their names on the back of a postage stamp. We know a lot of good people. We know a lot of people we like. But how many people do we know whose lives radiate who God is? Because that's what godliness is. My invitation today is for us individually to set a goal for ourselves to pursue godliness. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say it's going to be everything today. You know, we had a lovely family come in here one Saturday night from up Athens way. Beautiful young family. Kids went back to Bible school, came back, and the first thing their daddy asked him, well, did you have fun? I thought to myself, so churches are supposed to be the place where people go to have fun? My old Bible teacher told me, he said, your responsibility is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I'm a lot better at the last one. But what he was saying was true. What he was saying was really true. I would like to invite you to join me in pledging to God that we will pursue a life of holiness and godliness.
because then the people in the community can see that there's a difference. And until lost people can see a difference, why would they want to be like us? So I'm just going to take a few moments and, and pray. And I hope that you will join me, not verbally, but quietly, where you sit between you and God. Repent if necessary, but be courageous enough as a believer in Jesus Christ to pledge to pursue. You're not going to get there overnight. None of us are. And on the other thing, for those of you who do, be sure you tell somebody so that we can encourage each other along the way. I'm not talking about to criticize. I'm talking about we need encouragement in the pursuit of godliness. Because it ain't going to be easy. And there will be failures. But the overall influence will be what the New Testament said concerning the early believers who were sold out to Jesus. They were accused of turning the world upside down for Christ. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.